all for the glory of your name alone, we pray. Amen. All right, as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll finish up uh, chapter 4. We're getting close to the end of 1 Peter. Um, what we believe, what we do is strange to anyone who doesn't believe what we believe or do what we do as Christians. Like, if you really believe all of this, if you're only a part of a church because calling yourself a Christian, being a part of a church is a cultural thing for you, it's what your family does, so you do it. It's what a lot of people in our culture does, so you jump in. A lot of people in our culture see value and goodness in claiming to be a Christian, so why not? It doesn't hurt. It just takes a little bit of time out of your life. Maybe even for some, it's an advantage to call yourself a Christian to be a part of a church. So if that's why you are part of a church or you call yourself a Christian and believing this seems to be not as essential, then, you know, it doesn't really feel strange or weird. But if you, if you really know the Bible, if you really believe what the Bible proclaims and says and reveals about God and us, it's strange. It's, it's really weird. At least weird to those who don't believe it. God created everything from nothing. There, there was God eternally existing as Father, Son, and Spirit, and then from nothing he called everything into existence. That, that's kind of crazy sounding. There's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's three gods? Nope, which one? In three persons. How can that be? How can one also be three? How can three be one? That doesn't work. God became a man, literally, from a seed implanted by the Spirit of God in the womb of a virgin in the Middle East around 2,000 years ago. This God-man became known as Jesus of Nazareth. He would be born in Bethlehem, spend his toddler years in Egypt, and then raised in this small town of Nazareth of about 50 people. God's living in a town of 50 people. Total obscurity for 30 years while he learns the skills of a craftsman. And then he has this really short, fast three-year public ministry. And at the end of that three years, he's rejected and hated by the Jewish religious leaders, even though he was the promised Messiah that they'd been waiting for for thousands of years crucified by the Romans on a cross as a common criminal, even though he never committed a crime. The grossest act of injustice ever foisted on humanity are embraced by a Savior. Buried and on the third day, rise from the dead, teaching his followers for 40 days before he literally ascends, like flies into the sky, ascends into heaven. We believe this? This sounds so weird and strange. And this Jesus fills his followers in Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit so they can go around telling everyone this is true. This actually happened. So that people from all nations and tribes can be saved from their sins and be given life eternal by trusting in him, believing in him, and following him. And that's just a small sampling of what could sound weird and strange or crazy. There's talking donkeys in the Bible, if you don't know that. If you really believe it. There's another aspect about what's strange about us, or at least it's something we're not supposed to consider strange, picking up in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, this deep term of affection for these followers of Jesus, don't be surprised, or some translations say, don't consider it strange when the fiery ordeal comes upon you to test you 
as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. There's all kinds of suffering in the world. If you are a ULM sports fan, sorry, it's the most obvious thing. Jason paid me money to put that in there. If you spend more than 10 minutes outside right now in the sun, people talking too much during a movie, having to contact any customer service apartment about anything, but then more serious suffering, suffering because we can be foolish and we suffer consequences because we make foolish choices. Suffering because you're a human on this ball of dirt and we all get sick and we all lose people we love and we all might lose a job or could take a financial hit or struggle to make it. Like we're not immune from any of that because we're Christians. We don't live in a protective bubble, safe from all of those things. That's not the, what the Bible teaches. We don't get to skip the struggling and then just from being human. And then there's this kind of suffering highlighted in this passage, suffering specifically because we follow Jesus because we are the people of God. Now, I do think there are applications in this passage to other kinds of struggling, but it expi explicitly speaks about suffering because we are proclaiming the name of Jesus or because we're doing the good works of Jesus. We're so identifying with Jesus that to the culture we're in, we look like him, we sound like him, we feel like him, we smell like him. So they treat us as they treated him. So you being asked in your job to cut corners, to do something that smells or feels illegal or shady, and because of Jesus, you have this integrity and you say, I'm not doing that. And now you're passed over for promotions or maybe even worse, you lose your job. Ostracized. You're with a group of friends and they're having fun, making fun of someone in the group or maybe other people outside the group because they're not in the circle. And because of Jesus, you say, guys, this isn't okay. We can't treat people like this. They don't like this. They're obviously hurt by this. And you also will then be ostracized and made fun of, potentially. You're at work with uh, friends or, hold, or, or, or hang out with friends or you're at work and you hold biblical positions on things like marriage and life and humanity and gender and sexuality. God is the creator of all creation and like, who still believes that old-fashioned stuff? Hasn't our theology evolved with the times? Haven't, haven't we just thrown out a couple thousand years of orthodox teaching because we've really figured it out in the last 40 years? And you're dismissed as bigoted and closed-minded and unloving and out of touch. You value all image bearers, whatever age, whatever country they're from, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their struggle with sin is. 
And you don't dismiss any of them, regardless of those things. But in fact, you lean in and love them, even when they're hard to love, running from God, sinning against God, rebellious, and they don't look like you, or they're not from America. And some people will say, ah, that's too far. Just stay with the people who are like you. Now, these are some examples of what this kind of suffering might look like for us in our culture in the West. We could also spend time thinking about our brothers and sisters in parts of the world whose suffering for being a Christian or living out their faith is being kicked out of their families, losing their jobs, being imprisoned, or worse. A bunch of years ago, I think it was 2015 or yesterday, we had a friend of ours uh, come to the crossing on a Sunday night, and she brought with her, she had been, uh, she's Asian-American, she'd been doing work in China for years, like 20 years. She brought with her uh, the pastor that she worked with from that part of China. And he spoke to us on that Sunday night about what life was like for them and how we could be a part of helping them and investing in their work. And he made the comment in that gathering that, Going to prison in China was so common for pastors and religious leaders and even Christians that the pastors called it going to seminary because there would be other pastors and other believers that would create this community of learning. They saw prison as a good place to go because, uh, not just because of the suffering, because of the learning and the culture that they'd be a part of. Not long after that, our friend Anne was told it's time for you to go back to the states and she's been back ever since because this pastor said it's no longer safe for you to be here and not long after that this thing called COVID happened and China's been shut down and maybe shut down for the rest of our lives who knows on our book uh, back there uh, book table there's a copy of a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs it's a ministry that highlights this kind of suffering and persecution that happens around the world. You can take that home. You can go online, sign up, and get it for free to your, your own house. But Richard Wimbrand, founder of Voice of the Martyrs, he tells the story of his last class before he headed to Romania, where he eventually would spend 14 years in prison for preaching the gospel. His last class of catechism, teaching young men the faith, he took them to the zoo. He stood them before the, a cage of lions and said, Brothers, you've had ancestors of your faith thrown before wild beasts like this and torn to pieces because they were Christians. Literally happened in the early first few hundred years of the, uh, the church in the Roman Colosseum by emperors who were killing Christians because they were Christians and they wouldn't bow down and worship the emperor. And he told them, you won't have to deal with wild beasts like this, but you will have to deal with men who can do far worse. And he challenged them. Decide here and now if you wish to pledge allegiance to Christ. And with tears in their eyes, these young men said, yes, we're in. This is a present-day reality for our brothers and sisters around the world. One of the most persecuted, oppressed people groups around the world today are Christians, simply because they live in countries where they're not Muslims or they're not Hindu or they're not atheists, but because they are Christians. And the Lord has sent and will continue to send some from the crossing to these countries and these people groups so that you can make Jesus known. And for passages like this, they're going to become even more important as you consider heading to some of those hard places with the gospel. For us who aren't sent to those places, but we are sent here, to help send others there, 
we need to consider how we're prepared to respond to the suffering that we'll face because we identify with Jesus. It's not that we're out trying to be persecuted. We're not trying to make it happen. But we also aren't afraid to walk through it when it comes. And when it happens, we don't retreat and hide. So for all of us, six things we see in this passage that will help prepare us or help us walk through suffering because of Christ. And there's debate among scholars about if Peter was speaking to a present reality that these Christians were going through or if he was preparing them for what was to come. Either way, it's the same help, the same lessons. So number one, don't be surprised by fiery trials. It's pretty obvious. Don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal. It's so common to the people of Jesus We should be, in fact, surprised if we don't experience it. That should be more surprising. Just like earlier in chapter 4 where where Peter said the Gentiles were surprised that these Christians were no longer joining them in sin. We should be surprised if we don't experience this kind of persecution. Our culture of Washington Parish is not the kingdom of God. The church culture in Washington Parish is not the kingdom of God. The American culture, the Bible Belt South culture, the South, whatever, the compassionate progresses or the conservative kindness, neither one of those are perfectly the kingdom of God. There is no part of our culture that perfectly matches up with the kingdom of God, with the way of Jesus. And so as you follow Jesus and you obey his commands because you love him, eventually you're going to come to this place of, I don't fit. My mentality, my mindset, my beliefs don't fit this situation. And if I speak up and say something or make choices and go in another direction, those around me, with with those around me, I'm going to stick out. I'm going to rock the boat. And you're left with this choice. Will I retreat and hide my allegiance to Jesus or will I step out in boldness and potentially suffer being ostracized or ridiculed? Which is a about as bad as it gets for us here at this point in time in history. It's impossible to perfectly get along or go along if you follow Jesus. Eventually, you're going to have to make a choice, and your allegiance to Jesus will cause you to stick out and be different. And when that time comes and you suffer, Peter says, don't be surprised. This is the same Peter, if you remember, who betrayed Jesus around the fires the night of his arrest because he didn't want to suffer. And it's the same Peter later in the book of Acts who was arrested, flogged, imprisoned, and eventually killed because of his allegiance to Jesus. So Peter knows both feelings. He knows how to hide because he's afraid, and he knows how to boldly walk through persecution and eventually be killed. As he he writes this, he understands and he says, don't be surprised, it's coming. Like football season is here. Yay. No one signs up for football and walks onto a field with pads on and is shocked when they get hit. Why are you hitting me? I didn't know this was a part of football. You know it's a part of football. It's what you sign up for. It's why you wear pads, right? Nurses and CNAs aren't shocked when they got to deal with some gross human stuff. So I'm not a nurse or a CNA. It's what you signed up for, to help the sick and the hurting. And a lot of times that's gross. Parents aren't shocked when kids don't sleep, get hurt, or occasionally reveal their sin nature through rebellion and defiance. Their kids is what they do. 
They get hurt, things break, and they really do expect you to serve them because they think they rule the universe. Anyone in leadership shouldn't be surprised when they get criticized as part of the job. You have to make decisions. You can't make decisions that makes everyone happy. So the entire time you're leading, you have to live with the reality there are people you are leading who aren't always happy with you. Students shouldn't be shocked that going to school means you have to work hard to do well. As much as you just want to take your material and just push it into your brain, like it just oozes in, unfortunately, that's not how it works. It's not magic. You have to do the work, study, repetition, mental exercises. And Christians aren't surprised when we suffer for being a Christian. Our ultimate allegiance to Jesus means we worship him above all the false gods of our culture, and eventually we have to make that known. And because we follow Jesus, we obey his commands, because we love him more than anyone else, and we always choose offending people because we're choosing not to sin. Like we never choose to offend God by our sin. If we have to choose, offend God through sin, offend people through obeying God, I'm going to offend people. And that's going to bring persecution. But notice, the reason we can walk through suffering and actually rejoice is because we see the fiery ordeal for what it is. Something to test us, prove us. We see the purpose behind the trial. The purpose is not to destroy us or crush us or cause our faith to fail, but in fact, to show us that our faith is real. Because sometimes maybe we wonder. Sometimes maybe we doubt. God knows it's real. He's God. He knows everything. It's not for him to find out. He's not up there like creating these manic games of, of amusement to him. Let me see if they pass this test. That's not God. The tests are for us to know our faith is real. And to show us that our faith is strong and getting stronger. And here's why trials and sufferings don't surprise us. We know there are ways in which our faith needs to grow that won't grow apart from those trials and sufferings. This explains much of what we end up walking through in life that's hard or challenging. Like, we understand this in the physical realm. You want to be in shape? You don't just wake up in shape. You can't just sit on the couch and expect your muscles to get stronger and more flexible. can't expect your body to be healthier just by laying around. It just, just happened to you. You got to do the work. Like we get that in the physical realm. There, there are aspects of us physically we can't get to unless we do a lot of hard work and go through pain and sweating and stretching and tearing of muscle and rebuilding a muscle and all those fun things. It's even true in the spiritual realm. There are places that God wants to take us spiritually. There are ways in which he wants us to know him intimately as father and friend and shepherd that we're not going to get to unless we walk through suffering. There's no other way to learn it. It's not only that our faith is tested and grown through suffering, it also happens through success, but this passage is talking about fiery trials. And the reality is, there are things that need to grow in us that won't grow until we've been tested. So when we feel the fiery ordeal coming on us, A, we're not shocked. I've been waiting for this. I saw this video someone sent me uh, a couple days ago of uh, Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade. Uh, Dwayne Wade accidentally broke Kobe's nose in an all-star game a bunch of years ago. He felt terrible. I'm so sorry, Kobe. They had to face the Lakers a few days later, and Kobe had to wear this face mask, if you remember that. And Kobe being Kobe, looked at Dwayne, he's like, it's okay, man, I love it, I love it, 
makes me better, makes me stronger. And of course, he killed Dwayne Wade a few nights later when the Heat played the Lakers. Like he embraced the challenge. So when we're facing fiery ordeals, we're not surprised. Okay, I've been waiting for this. I need it. And then B, we're not crushed. Obviously, there are ways in which I need to know my faith in Christ is strong enough to walk through this, and there are ways in which my faith and trust need to grow, and I trust my Father. We'll get to that at verse 19. I trust my Father. He knows what I need. And so let, let's walk through this. See, You see, that's the foundation. Like if you're not suffering in that way right now, here's the preparation. That's the foundation that needs to be laid thickly and deeply in your mind and heart so that when you face this, you can deal with the wavering emotions you're going to feel. I know God loves me, but right now, don't feel like it. I know God never leaves me or forsakes me, but right now it feels like he's abandoned me. No, no, no. The truth is, it shouldn't surprise you. You knew this was coming, and it has a purpose. That's your foundation. Now you can have the emotions that go all over the place, and you won't tip over. You won't be crushed. You won't lose your faith because the foundation is secure. Secondly, rejoice that you're united to Christ. Secondly, rejoice you're united to Christ. Verse 13, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. So, so one with Jesus, in our we're so one with Jesus in our suffering that in Acts 9 Saul is headed to Damascus to arrest more Christians. He's stopped dead in his tracks by Jesus, who's appearing in his glorified, resurrected state, confronting Saul, not asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the Christians in Damascus? But, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting me, Saul, when you persecute my people. That's how one we are when we suffer for Christ. In Daniel 3, the three servants of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refusing to bow before the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar despite being threatened by being thrown into a literal fiery furnace. They would not bow. They stood in defiance. As they were thrown into the fire, the persecutors looked into the furnace and said, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods, a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ with his people in literally the fiery furnace to protect them and keep them safe. But how, like how in the world can we seriously rejoice as we share in the sufferings of Christ? Like some skeptics might even feel like this feels forced and fake and not real. Suffering's not fun, so how is it possible to rejoice when you go through these trials? And the only way it's possible is through the eyes of faith to see beyond the suffering which doesn't mean we don't feel negative, hard-crushing emotions. We do, read the Psalms, but we don't stay there, and neither do the psalmists, by the way. In almost every single of the 150 Psalms, they deal with the depths of despair and frustration and fear and hurt, but they always end with hope in God because that's what faith in Jesus does. It brings us through the hard and the heavy emotions to the place of hope, to the place of rejoicing because we see beyond the suffering with our eyes of faith. And what we see through faith becomes more real than the pain we're experiencing. And this is where this is weird. I, that's a strange reality. Unless you know God and Jesus lives inside of you, maybe you, that doesn't make any sense, but it's true. 
We have a testimony of believers for hundreds and thousands of years that say this is true. And many in this room have experienced that as well. Jesus writes, has John write to the church of Smyrna in Revelation 2. And he says, don't be afraid, Christians in Smyrna, about what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. And you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. That's Jesus talking to his people. This is about to happen literally in a short period of time. And you hear this and you believe it's true and the history of the church is filled with stories of our brothers and sisters being burned at the stake in the midst of being persecuted, expressing faith and hope and joy. Like maybe one of the best stories came from a, a guy who was the bishop of the church in Smyrna around the 150s A.D., Polycarp. He was brought before the Roman emperor and brought before the governor because he was being asked to worship the Roman emperor, and he had refused. And they're like, we're going to kill you. And he's like, okay. Submit, recant, worship the Roman emperor. And he finally says this, 86 years have I served him, Christ. And he has never done me injury. How then can I now blaspheme my king and my savior? And they tie him to a stake and they light him on fire. And he enters the presence of Jesus receiving the crown of life. How is that? If I was in that situation, you might be thinking, would I be able to do the same? Yes, because Christ is alive in you. In your human flesh, no. Get me, okay, whoever you want me to worship, get me out of here. We're running like scared little cockroaches and rats out of there. I don't want to die like that. But because Christ is alive in you, you, by God's grace, would do the same thing. And it tells us that in verse 14. Verse 14. If you are a ridicule for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Because suffering in this way is evidence we are blessed and the Spirit of God rests on us, resides in us. This is a work of the Spirit of God. In our human flesh alone, we're going to bail. We're going to pull a Peter. Nope, I don't know him. I'm not one of his followers. Because in that moment, our safety and security are more valuable to us than our allegiance to Christ. But with eyes of faith in the new man that Christ empowers, we suffer with joy, helping those who persecute us see how Jesus is our ultimate treasure and affection even more than our own personal comfort and safety. It's a work of God's spirit. But guys, the preparation of that begins now. Is Jesus your ultimate treasure and affection now? When it's more comfortable to hardly rearrange our life to make space for the loss of those far from God? When it's more comfortable to never open your mouth with the hope of the gospel? We have Christ with us, the spirit of God alive in us, and we can boldly make him known. And if that causes us to suffer, we can suffer the worst possible pain and persecution for his namesake. Surely that can empower us to be boldness and obedient now when we're, we're not suffering. Thirdly, don't suffer for the wrong reasons. When, when what we don't want to do is suffer for the, the wrong reasons. Verse 15 let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or meddler. Murderer and being a thief and evildoer, pretty obvious. Okay, don't do those things. Uh, if you do those things, you're going to suffer at the hands of the governing authorities. 
not because of Christ, but because you're a fool. It could have been this, Peter saying, saying this, yes, we still have sin in the church we need to deal with, but it's also a common ploy of governments opposed to Christianity in the church to make these kinds of false claims about Christians in those different countries. So don't let it be true of you, even if they claim that it is true of you. Now, the one interesting one is tacked onto the end, actually might be more accurate to the church then and now. He says, or a meddler. Interesting word, literally can be translated as pastoring someone else's business, caring for, caring about someone else's life, business. Don't suffer because you're up in someone else's business or you're trying to take care of someone's business. You're being too aggressive, too argumentative, too much of a pest or busybody in someone else's life. Maybe that was an issue in these churches, people trying to impose change on people's life without the Holy Spirit interjecting in their lives too much. Obviously, it can be an issue today with social media. We know everything about everyone, right? We stick our noses in other people's lives so much that we get punched in the nose. Like, don't, don't be that. We need wisdom to avoid being a meddler and having unwanted interference in people's lives. Don't suffer for foolish sins and call that persecution. It's not. It's not persecution if you're a jerk acting like a jerk. You're just a jerk. You need to be treated like a jerk. Suffer for doing what's right and what's good. Fourthly, don't be, ash be ashamed then to suffer as a Christian, where we see this in verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Like our world system, our flesh, those who live according to that way, Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 3, the enemies of God will 100% try and make you feel like it's a joke to be a Christian. It's insane. It's foolish. It's ridiculous. Will you really believe all that old stuff? You're really saying this guy who lived and died 2,000 years ago is your greatest treasure? Really? Like I was reflecting on this with uh, Emma Grace. She's starting at ULM next week. And I remember my first semester at NLU, if you're familiar with that college, back in the 1900s, going to some classes. And for the first time, hearing people in authority, professors, ridiculing and making fun of the church, Christianity. I had never heard that. I graduated West Monroe, didn't hear any teacher doing that there. I never heard these people that you look up to. They, they know all the stuff. I'm learning from them, and they're making fun of everything I've been taught. And for me, it really caused me to step back and consider, am I a fool for believing this? Am I just believing this because it's what my parents believed? And it was a true crisis of faith for me, that in the grace of God, God ordained some circumstances and people and resources to, to lead me on this path to discover, okay, examine it. It holds up. It's true. The best explanation for what happened 2,000 years ago in the first century is Jesus rose from the dead. And if Jesus rose from the dead, it's all true. So we can hold on to our faith. We can examine our faith. We can look at the evidence and not have to be ashamed. And when we aren't ashamed but even bold in the face of persecution, guess what? God is glorified, which means God is seen through our boldness as good and true and beautiful and right because we people, we don't have to. I could choose to, to, to flee like Peter did and, and renounce my faith and hide in my faith. I could choose that for, for the sake of safety and comfort. But when I don't but boldly uh, proclaim Christ to those persecuting me, making fun of me, ostracizing me, oh man, this guy really believes this. 
This is really valuable to him. This is really important to him. God is seen. Like he's worth it. He's worth our total allegiance and love and affection. He really is the greatest treasure we can hold. Fifthly, the, the fifth thing, God uses suffering to purify his church. We see this in verses 17 through 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Like this is the wake-up call for all of us. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, every person in this room. And you will not stand with someone to lean on. You will not stand with someone that, that you can hold, hold you up. There's not going to be someone standing with you that you can hide behind. And there's not going to be someone standing with you that you can blame. You and I will stand alone before the judgment seat of Christ. And if that feels heavy and weighty and a little scary, good. It should. Read the pages of Scripture and see people who know they are in the presence of God. They're not casual. They're sober-minded. They're serious. Oh, I'm standing in the presence of God. That should feel weighty. That should feel heavy. And that's for us, the people of God who are welcomed and wanted there. Now, what we know is for those who trust in Christ and we are the people of God and Christ lives in them, this accountability is not judgment to heaven and hell. Like, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but, but you're not living your life hoping you do enough. And when you stand before God, you find out, hey, you did enough, you get in. That's not the gospel. Okay? It's not our works that make us right with God that get us into his kingdom forever. It's the work of Jesus. So in the here and now, when we trust Jesus, who died in our place for our sins, rose from the dead to give us life, Jesus actually says we have now passed from judgment into life in John 5. It happens now. And the whole book of 1 John was written so that we may have assurance that you may know you are his. And so trusting in Jesus now gives you the assurance that when you stand before God, you're his. You're one of his kids. There's nothing to be afraid of in the sense of, I don't know where I'm going to go. You know now. Are you living a life of repentance and trusting in Jesus and treasuring Jesus? And if in the ways that you're not, because we all struggle with that, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, are you, are you continuing to run toward Jesus for more forgiveness and, and reconciliation and hope and joy? Is that the pattern of your life? You can know now that's where you're at. And you're his. And so the, the judgment for us standing before the, the, the holy throne of Christ is a judgment for rewards. How are you using your time, talents, resources, and abilities? Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Are you making an impact in eternity because you're investing in people whose souls last forever because none of this lasts forever? Or are you just laying up treasure on the earth? Are you just living for the here and now? And there will be, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, there will be Christians who stand before this judgment seat of Christ. All of their works will be brought, to the, brought forward and will be burned up in a fire because all they've done is wood, hay, and straw. 
And they've not accomplished any lasting works for eternity. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, even still they will be saved as though through the fire. That's how gracious God is. You've not really done anything for my kingdom after I saved you. But I'm so gracious you're still in the kingdom. And then there will be Christians who have laid up works for eternity, whose works will be tested by fire, but they've accomplished gold and presley silver and presley stone, precious stones. And then we'll lay those rewards down before the feet of Jesus as worship and honor to him. So, so that's what it looks like for a Christian, right? But, but Peter writes here, think about those who have disobeyed the gospel of God. Think about those who are the ungodly and the sinner. Like, it, it took Jesus, the Son of God, dying in our place for our sins for us to be saved from our sins. A lot of what he says, difficulty. How much worse will it be for those on that day of judgment who have disobeyed the gospel, who have rejected this gracious gift of their Savior, who have said no to God's love, who have said no to God adopting them into his family and taking them from being an enemy of God to being one of his kids. For them, there is trouble. There's darkness and there's judgment, separation. Because they chose in this life, I don't want God. And God says, okay, for eternity, you don't get me. You don't get me. It's not, that's not to scare people into heaven. That's a lot of us who are older, we grew up with that. Being tr people trying to scare us out of hell, scare us into heaven. But it certainly is weighty. This is real, just as real as we have hope and joy about the eternal state of God's people around his throne and his kingdom forever. Just as weighty is the grief and the sorrow about those who are rejecting God. It's not to be played around with. Like it should drive everyone in this room to sober up and examine your salvation. Is it real? It should cause everyone in this room, for those that you love who are running from God or far from God, to pray even more for their salvation. Not for you to try and save them. We're terrible saviors. But for you to pray for God to save them. For you to love them and pursue them and share the truth as you have opportunity. And... God, have mercy on the literally thousands who are dying every day around the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus. As we saw last week, like time is short. Get with it. The end is coming. Quit wasting time. Like take seriously this life that you have. As we, as we learned in the bear, every second counts. Let's go. Every day, every month, every year matters for the souls and salvations of the people that we love. And God always starts with his people. It starts with the church. And then lastly, verse 19, this great summary verse. So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. A great summarizing statement. If you're suffering for Christ, According to God's will, trust him with your soul. He is a faithful creator. And just keep doing the good that he's created you to do. Creator God, sovereign God, if you create it all from nothing, you get to own it. 
That's just kind of the rule of the universe. None of us create anything from nothing. Okay? Only God did that, so he owns it. There's not a square inch in all the universe, as Abraham Kuyper said, that doesn't belong to God. He says, mine. Everywhere you look, it belongs to him. It's his. He owned it. He made it. He rules over it. And this is a good thing because he's a good God. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He's not hiding, but he's made himself known so that we can know him and love him. And who he is is who he has been and who he always will be. He's not trying to trick us or trap us. He's not playing games with us. And when we get to the end, oops, I was just kidding about all that. No, he's been the same for all time to all people. He's faithful and trustworthy. His love, he, he loves us and will keep us to the end so that we can enjoy him forever. We'll share in all he's prepared for us. He's safe. You can trust him with your soul, which is the most precious thing about you. It's the thing that lasts for eternity, along with a glorified, resurrected body. You could trust him with your soul. Like we talk about safe spaces and non-toxic people and all this stuff. There's no one safer and less toxic than your Father in heaven, the faithful creator. You can trust him with everything. He holds us. He keeps us. He cares for us. You can be completely who you are in all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you can trust he will be patient and kind and gracious as you come to him for help. He's not a God who, if you mess up, he's kicking you out of the family. Actually, when you suffer and when you mess up, he comes closer. So you can feel his love even more. And he's coming again. The end will come. All the scales will be balanced. The injustices that we feel and we hate today will be set right. All the hidden will be exposed, not just the hidden hurts that we've experienced, but the hidden good things that we've done. And all the good endings of all the books and movies that we love, this one gets it more perfect than anything else. We're headed to the most perfect ending of all. So dear friend, Dear beloved brother and sister, give your soul to him. Trust him with it. It's safe with him. Everything you walk through, even suffering, is according to his will. Not never to destroy you or destroy your faith, but actually to increase your faith, to increase your affection for him. And I would encourage you, talk with people who've walked with Jesus for a while and hear their stories of suffering. And hear them say, yeah, that was hard. But he was good. And he's still good. And even if that's all I learned through the suffering is that he is good, that's enough. That's enough to keep me going. He is a good father to the end. You can trust him. So I, I encourage you if you're here today and you don't know him as father, you don't know him as friend, you don't know him as savior, let today be the day of your salvation. Repent of your sins, trust in Jesus, and let the person you came with know, let one of us know, so we can walk with you through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Father, I pray for everyone here. You would deepen our affection for you because we, in a deeper way, understand where you are when life is hardest. Father, maybe for some who are here, we're kind of hiding as Christians. So we're not going to experience persecution for being a Christian because we're not really openly living out our faith. We're kind of keeping it a secret. 
And Father, I pray for, for those who are in that place, and we all struggle with it from time to time, this timidity, that you would put in their hearts, put in our hearts, boldness and courage to openly and unashamedly live for you. To let your name and your love and your truth be known to all the people in our life, to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, the people we go to school with, the people we work with, so that there's no doubt. There's no doubt what we love, who we love. There's no doubt what we really treasure more than anything else. And when we suffer because of that, thank you for being our faithful father. Thank you for never leaving us. Thank you for giving us everything we need through your spirit so that we can continue to do good, even if it costs. And I pray especially for our brothers and sisters around the world today who are suffering severe persecution. Remind them today that you are with them and are not alone. We pray in Jesus' name.